Blog Talk Radio. joining us again today. Today, we will be speaking about a very important subject. You could say very un-Christmas-like, but uh, in fact, the show will be a gift, a gift of knowledge and a gift of information that we all need to know more about, be more greatly apprised of, because as of now, uh, most people in our country do not have a clue about something called the Trans-Pacific Partnership, a.k.a. TPP. Joining us soon, shortly, will be Mitch Jones of the Food and Water Watch. We'll be introducing him as soon as he joins us on the air uh, momentarily. And We'll be speaking about this subject that has such powerful ramifications for democracy and its future or not. So, what are we going to do but to take a real look at what this treaty is? which ultimately, even though it sounds like it's about trade, looks much more like it's about uh, control. And uh, as a result, it's an issue that we definitely have to deal with. And Mitch Jones has been one who has been doing this for some time and really unpacking this subject, and he'll be doing so for us today. Uh, Let me just tell you a little bit about uh, Mitch Jones, the director of the Common Resources Program at Food and Water Watch, a website you're going to want to really take a look at as well if you don't already know it. Um, He manages the organization's campaigns on nutrient trading regimes, water markets and pricing, municipal water infrastructure and funding, catch share fisheries management programs, and open ocean aquaculture. He was previously the director of the fish program at Food and Water Watch. Mitch is also the senior legislative and policy analyst for Food and Water Watch's water program. Prior to joining Food and Water Watch, he worked at the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union 
focusing on issues related to food safety and renewable fuel policy. He has appeared on CNBC, Al Jazeera English, and various other radio stations across the United States. He holds a BA in History and Philosophy from the University of Illinois and uh, is joining us today to, as I said, unpack and educate us all about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is uh, getting closer and closer to some form of uh, resolution, some form of uh, agreement internationally that could have a truly devastating effect on our society. So on that note, Mitch, are you with us? I am, Mitchell. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us today. At this holiday time, I was telling people that it's um, not such a Christmassy subject, but indeed getting this knowledge remains a real gift. So very much appreciate your taking a little time to, to talk with us today. I'm happy so, to be here. First of all, good, I'm so glad. If you would, just kind of take it from the top. Most people are not aware. I mean, I happen to be one of those that I'm pretty kind of tuned in to these kinds of things. But most people really are not, and for lots of reasons. Could you kind of take it from the top, Mitch, and uh, give us an idea of what this is about? Sure. The Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, is a uh, trade deal, so-called, um, that is being negotiated by 12 uh, countries that are part of the Pacific Rim. A lot of these countries we already have trade deals with. Some of them we do not. Uh, it began to be negotiated under the Bush administration, but the Obama administration picked up the ball and has run with it pretty hard and is pushing hard to get the deal. Uh, the countries involved are uh, Canada, uh, the United States, obviously, Mexico, Peru, and Chile. So those are the ones in the Americas. Uh, New Zealand and Australia. Then we have Malaysia, Brunei, Singapore, Vietnam, and Japan. I don't think I forgot any. That might be 12. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a wide range. Uh, of countries, and there are others that are, are eager to join. South Korea has indicated a desire to get in. The Philippines have talked about getting in. Um, prior to its current uh, political crisis, Thailand was very eager to get in. So you know, it's it's a it's a deal that already is pretty broad, covers a lot of countries, and will most likely include more. There are even hints that India and China would like to join at some point in the future. So this has. So what is this that they are looking to join? It, it's obvious yep. that there's some momentum behind uh, the uh, global interest in the treaty. But right. what match does the treaty consist of? Right. So what what the treaty itself would do? I mean, they're calling it a trade a trade deal, a free trade deal. But really, only a couple of the titles in the deal have to do with the traditional things that we think about when we talk about trade. And what I mean by that is things like import tariffs and quotas, mm -hmm. you know, the, the sorts of things we usually talk about as protecting markets. Only a very small portion of this agreement, or what we know about this agreement, because it's being negotiated in secret, has to do with those traditional trade issues. What this deal is really about is what they call technical barriers to trade, which is one of these wonderful, you know, phrases that uh, policymakers come up with to try to keep things hidden from uh, the public. 
But what they mean when they say technical barriers to trade are primarily local laws. Say that again? Is that the Our local laws and regulations. A technical barrier to trade is, is any local law or regulation that a company feels is um, getting in the way of its right to make a profit. Mm. So, for instance, out in Colorado, four cities just passed local uh, referenda against fracking. Those could be considered technical barriers to trade. Connecticut and Maine have passed laws that will, at some point, lead to the labeling of genetically engineered foods. That could be considered a technical barrier to trade. Um, a lot so, in of other localities, words, the activation, Mitch, the activation yep. of democratic legislative process is considered a technical barrier then to trade. Yes, very much so. As long as, as uh, any of those democratic decisions could be seen as getting in the way of a company making what it believes is uh, its rightful profit, then it could be considered a technical barrier to trade. Even if that profit is completely theoretical in nature, for any number of reasons, they may not be able to realize the kind of, say, profits they would like to in a given locale or region, but yet they would still be able to collect under the terms of this treaty? Well, they would be able to sue for it. And um, the, the, prob- the real additional problem there is that they wouldn't be suing in a U.S. court. They'd be su- suing in an international trade tribunal. So it wouldn't even be under U.S. law. It would be under uh, whichever trade tribunal um, ends up getting jurisdiction for this deal. Um, you know, and we've already seen stuff like this happen under other trade deals. Under NAFTA, there is a uh, oil and gas company called Lone Pine, which is suing Quebec, and it is doing so because Quebec has a moratorium on fracking, and the company believes that uh, that moratorium is costing it profit, and therefore they are suing Quebec for uh, $250 million in so-called lost profits. Mm. And that's taking place right now under NAFTA. Yes, yes. Even prior and, to this current TPP. You know, along that same line, or a similar line, and I don't know if it's under NAFTA or not, but it sounds like it would be, um, a gold company called Infinito Gold is suing the government in Costa Rica, which denied them uh, the rights and permission to drill there because the Costa Rican government felt that that would damage their environment and it wasn't an eco-friendly project. And uh, by denying, they're now also getting sued for, you know, a couple of hundred million dollars. Right. And we're seeing these deals, uh, we're seeing this, this provision in the trade deal is called Investor State Dispute Resolution. And we're seeing it, or ISDR, we're seeing it more and more frequently. NAFTA is really the place where it started, and it's being inserted in most of the new trade deals that we see, or in an increasing number of them. And it's the really, I mean, there's a lot of bad things beyond that in the TPP, but that's the provision that I think your listeners really need to be most concerned about, because that's the one that's going to undermine their ability to have local control over the health and safety of their communities and families. 
That's the one that's going to give corporations equal footing with, well, more than equal footing, to be perfectly honest, with yeah. their governments. You know, this is this is somewhat um, unprecedented in some ways. You know, there's there was a challenge made to the country of origin labeling law that we have in the U.S., which is a law, it's called COOL, which says mm-hmm. that certain meat products, certain food products need to be labeled based on where the food comes from. And Canada and Mexico challenged that law, and it went to the WTO. Um, now, this is something, you know, Americans want to know where their food comes from. They want to know if the beef they're sure. buying is American beef or Argentinian beef or yeah. Australian beef or Canadian beef. Or Chinese. Beef, or Chinese, right, right in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's an important issue. And this law was challenged uh, at the WTO, and the fact of the matter is that Canada and Mexico uh, won. Now, in an ironic twist, the USDA has rewritten the rule and actually made it a stronger, a better rule. Now, that's not going to happen <laughs> most of the time. And uh-huh. this has now allowed companies to then challenge the rule. So what this does is it creates new ways for companies to get their way. You know, I'll go back to the example from Colorado. I know I'm hopping around a lot, but let's, let's talk no, about the example okay. in Colorado yeah. with fracking. The fracking. The fracking in That's Colorado. That's a subject we've dealt with a lot on the show, so I'm right. glad you're bringing it up. Yeah. So four communities have recently passed various degrees of, uh, of opposition to, to fracking, uh, moratoria and bans, that sort of thing. Now, they're already being threatened with a lawsuit from their state government. Their governor has sided with oil and gas interests and is going to sue the city saying they don't have the right to do this. Now, what the TPP will do, potentially, is give another way for the oil and gas companies to challenge this law. So let's say that the state loses in state court and that the court realizes that, that, no, these local populations do have the right to vote for moratoria and for bans. If TPP is in place, these companies would be able to shift their challenge out of U.S. courts and into the International uh, Trade Tribunal. And Mm -hmm. that's the really scary thing is what it does is it it gives companies more ways to try to undermine local democracy beyond, you know, they they spent a million dollars in the referenda campaign. They lost. Okay, so what are they going to do? They're going to go to the courts and spend millions of dollars there. And then if they lose there, they can go to the trade tribunal. So it just gives these companies another way of trying to overturn the democratic process when they lose. Yes, indeed. So in effect, there would be, Mitch, a, an international corporate tribunal of sorts that would ultimately have jurisdiction above and beyond local municipal, state, and federal laws, including the Constitution, when it comes down to the TPP being signed by its members, member countries. Yeah, what it, would, what it would do is it would give a point at which companies can challenge local laws, and then if we lose, if 
the if the locality loses or the state loses or in the case of like the cool fight the government the federal government loses then you know you don't really have much choice you you pretty much have to go back and and rewrite your your law or your regulation or pay a major fine yeah so you know but what it does is it undermines the sovereignty of the respective nation yes that's what I'm it certainly does. Saying. It's a signing away of our ability to legislate for ourselves, and it's now. It's why happening. would? Yes, please. I was I was going to say, and it's happening in secret, which is the other uh, component of this. Yes. I mean, the you know yes. shows like yours are talking about it, but you don't really see that full analysis of the trade deal in, in on the nightly news, for instance, um, or no. on uh, MSNBC yes. or CNN or any of these kind of mainstream sources. You just don't see it. And if they talk about the trade deal, what they talk about is, you know, the infighting going on in the Democratic Party or that the Tea Party is opposed, as opposed to talking about what's actually in the deal and why people should yes, be right. about it. I did hear about I did hear it discussed once on the commercial media, Mitch, and it was a scary conversation because whoever it was was uh, I don't remember now was talking about the benefits of the deal. It was one of these uh, uh, conservative uh, Washington think tanks. And I was uh, appalled because I then thought, even if it was broadcast in commercial media, they may start to uh, try to propagandize the value of it to the American people, and there would ensue a debate as to the merits of having our laws overruled by an international <laughs> tribunal. You know, they wouldn't frame it that way, of course. No, they but, certainly wouldn't. They certainly wouldn't frame it that fact, way. But in fact, how did you get hold of the document if it's so secret? Well, some of the document has leaked. Um, recently, WikiLeaks has leaked um, a chapter on intellectual property, which is a little bit beyond where Food and Water Watch works. Um, mm -hmm. Last year, in 2012, there was a leak of the chapter on investments, which is why we know about the investor state dispute resolution being included. Um, you know, so chapters are leaking here and there, but the fact of the matter is we still don't know what's in most of it. Um, we have a pretty decent idea based on what's been in previous trade deals and based on what we know the U.S. has been wanting in those trade deals. We know that it's now our why, government. That's a really good question um, embedded in that sentence. Why in the world would any government want to be party to something, an, an, an agreement that would be subordinating its own body of law to this? I'm, I'm tempted to say lawyers, guns, and money as a joke, but there's some truth to it. Okay, um, but it's not such a joke. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> the, the, the fact of the matter is that this is an agenda. This is a way for um, you know a, a kind of pro-corporate, uh, pro-business uh, governing agenda to continue to move forward where it's being met with resistance in other places. You know. There's been a there was a recent deal in Bali with the WTO that, to be honest, I'm, I'm not sure is as significant as as people are making it out to be. But by and large, the WTO was stopped after Seattle in 1999. They they've had a really hard time mm -hmm. making any progress, and so mm -hmm. you know, in some respects, the TPP can be seen as an attempt to shift 
the debate about global trade out of the WTO and into a new forum where they don't have to deal with India and Brazil and Cuba and some of these other countries that have been raising um, problems <laughs> for oh. the neoliberal economic agenda, the pro-corporate agenda at the WTO. And so that's one reason why it shifted. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that the reason why these governments are willing to accept this is either, one, they believe the lie that this is going to help their economy, that it's going to create jobs, which is the thing that we're always told here, that it's going to help living standards, what have you, mm-hmm. or um, it's it's just a, a component of their ideological crusade to, to hand over um, more power to the private sector and strip um, power from the public sector, which at the end of the day really does mean you know, a democratically accountable government. That's yes. the shift that yes. we're seeing, and that's what this is about at the end of the day, is trying to extend that that movement, which, you know, really got started in the early 70s, um, mm-hmm. further, and take it out of the places where it can be fought against, remove it from the democratic process. Yes. For instance, you're referring, Mitch, you're referring to such acts as the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act and the, there was a large environment yep. movement that occurred back then, uh, the formation of the EPA, for instance. Yes, right. right. So, you know, what we saw was the culmination of the the kind of post-war consensus, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, the EPA, as you just mentioned. You know, yes. the first Earth Day happened in the early 70s. And it was at the same time, of course, that the blowback began. You know, Reagan was elected in California in the late 60s. Um, Pinochet had his coup in Chile in uh, in, Mm -hmm. uh, 73. Um, You know, we had uh, the bankruptcy of New York and the kind of takeover of New York City later in the 70s, and then, of course, the election of Thatcher and Reagan. So, you know, the, 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 the... movement against all of the the progress that had been made after the war really began right as it hit its height, right as those laws came out and mm. the, the the pushback. And now it's extended further and further to the point where they've decided, well, you know, if we can get this set up in an international trade agreement, we can kind of by step a lot of these democratic checks that are still in place. We can we can move around the people who would much rather have strong laws to protect their air and their water and their food. We can move around well, it if we can do it through trade. Let's get into that. Let's get okay. in that, uh, into that. After all, you, you know, you're the program director for Common Resources at Food and Water Watch. And by the way, folks, it's a website you should really visit, foodandwaterwatch.org. And uh, it's really a website that reports so much good information. It's doing such work on our behalf to alarm us, actually alert us and educate us about what's going on in the food industry, what's happening with water. What would be the impact of such a trade agreement as this, Mitch, on our food safety and regulations as well as water? Well, with food safety, there's a couple of different places where it would have a direct uh, impact. One is that they, they talk about something, uh, they call it harmonization, which sounds wonderful, right? Um, you know, you think oh, of a really great band. They take all of our good words. <laughs> right, yeah. they, take, they pervert all of our good <laughs> words. And it's Orwellian at the end of the day, really. But yes, they, indeed. 
you know, they, so they talk about harmonization, and what they talk about when they when they're using that phrase is they're going to try to make all of the regulations in all of the countries that are a party to the agreement be the same. Now, they have two options there. They can either harmonize up or they can harmonize down. They're not going to harmonize up, right? They're not going to make people who have weaker standards increase their standards. Instead, we're going to be forced to accept lower standards from other countries, and we can really see this, for instance, in um, seafood imports, which is an area that I've worked on uh, for a few Mm -hmm. years at Food & Water Watch. We already, in this country get an unbelievable 90% of our seafood from imports, which is, which is crazy to begin with. And the 90%. large amount of that, yeah, 90%. Um, a large amount of that is uh, coming from uh, farms in uh, South Asia, Southeast Asia, you know, Vietnam, Thailand, yes. China, and those regions. Farm-raised um, farm seafood. Yes. Farm-raised seafood. And, you know, it's not farm-raised seafood like Arkansas-raised catfish, which is a perfectly good product. It's, it's you know, raised in rivers. It's raised with chemicals and antibiotics and drugs that are illegal to use in the U.S. You know, basically what a, a fish farm, a shrimp farm looks like is it looks like a, a, a dairy CAFO in water. So the fish swim in their feces. They swim in these pools of drugs and antibiotics and chemicals. And then that product gets shipped to the U.S. And we already know that even without these trade deals, product is coming in which has trace amounts of these drugs and and chemicals which are illegal in the U.S. Now, Mm -hmm. if we have TPP, there's going to be an increase in product coming from these countries. But there's not going to be any more money for FDA border inspection. Right, and yeah. so you're going to have more and more product, and less and less inspection. It's already the case that fewer than two percent of the seafood products coming into the U.S. gets inspected at the border. It's going to go 2%. down. Less than two percent. Is that because the FDA is un- underfunded to handle inspection? Or, it's because the FDA uh, is underfunded to handle inspections. It doesn't have enough. Uh, it doesn't have enough inspectors on the job. It doesn't get the funding it needs from Congress to do the job. But to be honest, there's also kind of a cultural attitude at the FDA against hands-on inspection. They prefer to do um, fancier technolo- technological risk assessments and then, and then reduce the amount of actual eyes looking at product. And we think that they should spend more time and more money on actual eyes looking at product because we think that would force – uh, companies to actually send a healthier product to the U.S. So that's going to be a problem. That's going to be made worse by this Are those trade rivers in Vietnam, Mitch, that you're referring to, uh, are they closed loops or are those open flow systems? They are open water flow is, systems. They are. They are. So they, water is being exchanged and yes. diluted quite literally. It is, yeah, but, you know, there is a a concentration of pollution in the areas uh, immediately around those farms. Yes. Because, obviously, the feces from the fish or the shrimp collect there. Yeah. And so it's it's a nasty business. Um, And yet another reason why we should be able to label our seafood and know where it comes from 
Yeah. Yes, indeed. So indeed. that's one way it's going to happen. Now, there's another scary component of this on on the the uh, food safety angle, and that's that they're talking about having something called a, res- a rapid response mechanism. Now, again, rapid response, that sounds great. We think of, you know, firefighters uh, coming to the rescue when we hear that. Yes. But what they're talking about, again, you know, Orwellian language, is is a system that will allow an importer of a product to challenge a border inspection that that has concern about the safety of the product. So let's say the FDA actually does one of the, you know, dwindling amount of, of product being inspected, find a problem with the shipment of, you know, shrimp coming in. And they say, well, we need to do tests. This rapid response mechanism, which we think is going to be included in TPP, would allow the importer to go again to some third-party tribunal, probably an international trade tribunal, and try to force the FDA to allow that product into commerce while the tests are being done. This is crazy. This is this is absolutely absurd that we would even be contemplating allowing this. Yeah. So that's another way food safety would be challenged. And then the last way that I'll mention, you know, we've been doing a lot of work. My colleague Tony Corbo has been leading the fight against privatizing meat inspection in this country. It's been it's yes. been pushed for several administrations now. They've been trying to to shift the responsibility for meat inspection from government inspectors in the processing plants, in the slaughter plants, USDA. to, to uh, private companies. So basically inspectors paid by the company itself. It's an, again, it's an absurd idea. Now, they have this system in Australia. I mean, there's no arm's length objectivity whatsoever. I mean, it's, there's it's none at it's all. The, it's the wolf watching the hen house. It's yes, it, and and eating all the hens at the same time. It's it is an, it's an utter absurdity that we're trying to push this domestically, but they haven't had much success. We've got some good champions up on Capitol Hill, like Rosa DeLauro, who have, have really helped stand in the way. And like I said, my colleague Tony Corbo has been has been mm-hmm. really leading the fight on this. But Excellent. Australia has this system. And we're concerned that TPP is going to be a backdoor way for USDA to allow this system into the U.S. by saying, well, Australia does it, and we have their product coming in, so that means it's good and it's equivalent and we can bring it. It's going to become one of these these technical barrier-to-trade issues, and it's going to be a problem for us. So those are three different ways in which food safety in particular could be impacted by the trade deal, all of them on their own is scary, but taken together, it's it's a really frightening, devastating prospect for uh, the food safety regime here in the U.S. Indeed. We are speaking with Mitch Jones, the Common Resources Program Director at Food and Water Watch. You're listening to Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio. Very glad you're joining us. And if you're not yet getting our free newsletter every week, please go to www.abetterworld.tv where you can both listen to the radio show and if you're outside of Manhattan, you can watch our weekly television show every Tuesday night at 10.30 Eastern Standard.
Standard Time as well. So please join us at uh, Better World and become part of our community and family. So we're going to continue now with Mitch Jones of Food and Water Watch, an excellent website that you should really go to and become familiar with, foodandwaterwatch.org. And today we are spending the show discussing and learning about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, a.k.a. TPP, and it's a uh, it's an agreement, it's a contract essentially that is uh, being um, circulated around different countries in private, in secret, and it's only because of sources such as WikiLeaks that Mitch Jones and some of his other colleagues that uh, I know Lori Wallach has spoken about this on Amy Goodman's Democracy Now. from Public Citizen, and there are few other sources of this information, but very few, and you won't find it in the commercial media, hardly at all. Yet, it's probably the most important piece of legislation, in effect, international in scope, that is facing us as a nation and essentially as a world. So, Mitch, I just want to thank you again for being on a better world today with me to discuss this and lay out the uh, the facts and the ramifications of this legislation. What else about it do you feel that uh, our audience should know? One of the questions I have is: Is there an appeal process here, and does it have its own enforcement capability? You know, I think that that stuff is still um, somewhat unknown. The the fact of the matter is that, yeah, there there may be an appeal process within the tribunal, but we don't know even really what the tribunal is going to look like yet. It's possible the deal is just going to send everything to the WTO. That's a possibility. Um, but uh-huh. I don't believe that we know yet exactly what they're going to use. So those questions are still open. Again, that's part of the, the secrecy around this um, yeah. is that there are a lot of it that, is still a little unclear exactly how it's going to function. Um, but, you know, it's it's definitely going to be the case. You know, here's the other thing, uh, Mitchell, that that is, is really troubling about this. So, you know, if, if, if a town in Colorado that passes a fracking ban gets sued for, you know, let's say $100 million or $150 million or whatever it may be, yeah. How many other cities, small towns across America, do you think are going to want to take on that fight to protect their citizens, knowing that if they do so, they can get sued for $100 million or $150 million? Which would bankrupt them. Which would bankrupt them. Absolutely devastatingly yeah. bankrupt them. I mean, these are, mm-hmm. these are towns that, you know, uh, when they have to upgrade their sewer uh, uh, system, you know, have to get, yeah. take out bonds just to pay $4 million, let alone $100, $150 million. It would bankrupt them. You know, this is the other thing about this that we have to keep in mind is that it's, it's not a very only, good point. Yeah, you know, they don't have to win that many cases. All they got to do is win yeah. one to scare a lot yeah. of people. And that's, that's right. you know, the other thing that it really is is it gives them a really great tool to just say, well, if you do that, we're gonna we're gonna take you to this tribunal, and you know, city managers are gonna start saying, well, we better not do anything. We better just go along to get along. So, you know, it's it's really important that people realize what this deal is going to do on a broad uh, 
array of issues. You know, the issues we work on at Food and Water Watch, the food safety, which we just talked about, fracking, mm-hmm. which we've kind of touched on, um, genetically uh, engineered foods and the labeling of, of GMOs. You know, all of those issues, all of the work that we've been doing, our activists have been doing, our allies have been doing, your listeners have been doing on these issues will be undermined, will be made so much more difficult if we allow TPP to be signed. Um, And so really, you know, you mentioned... Very good point. You mentioned, uh, you know, here we are, it's almost 2014, it's... uh, you know, it's it's Christmas Day. It's it's we're coming up to yeah. New Year's, and and you know I've as we do uh, you know at the end of the year we we think about what we've accomplished for the year and what we want to do in in the new year. And you know I've set my number one goal from for uh, the Common Resources Program at Food and Water Watch, and I think really uh, you know for myself individually and for mm-hmm. so many people I know is 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 stopping. TPP, and if I could talk for one second about how to do that, I think that would be really Please, important. Please, I, I very much would like you to do that. Sure. So, the way that you know TPP is being negotiated, the Obama administration is flying all over the world, doing these deals, um, trying to figure things out to, to get this deal across the line. They want it done soon. They want to get it done. They wanted it done in October, and they've missed their deadline, and so they're really pushing it. But. In fact, in they're really looking at fast track, aren't they? Exactly. That's, Isn't that that's, being that's the issue is, is fast track. Maybe you can talk so about in order that to get too. It, yeah. yeah. In order to get it through Congress, they need to pass fast track trade promotion authority. And what that does, it's, it's a great thing. It was thought up by Richard Nixon, <laughs> which you know means it's got to uh-huh. be good. So um, <laughs> it's, it's a process by which Congress – basically yields its constitutional authority over trade to the administration. And it does that by saying, we'll give you the ability to go and negotiate these trade deals, and then when you bring it back to Congress, we will have a limited amount of debate, and Congress will only be able to vote yes or no. They won't be able to amend the agreement. That's what Fast Track will do. That's what fast track means, and that's why it was originated back in the Nixon administration. That's right, because it was a way the transfer it, of power from yes. the legislative branch to the executive for these kinds of decisions. That's right. It was part of the imperial presidency. Yeah. And at the same point of time, it was a great way for congressmen to be able to say, "Oh, well, I didn't negotiate that deal, and I didn't have the opportunity to amend it." Yeah. Right. So it gives them an out. Right. Uh, you know, cowardly politicians who don't want to actually take responsibility for the decisions that they're responsible for. It gives them yes. a great out. It's a it's a failure of governance at the end of the day. And Truly. Now, you know, Clinton, H.W. Uh, Bush, George H.W. Bush and, and Bill Clinton had fast track for NAFTA. Um, mm-hmm. George W. Bush had it for some of the trade deals that he did. It has lapsed. There currently is no fast-track authority for the Obama administration. Now, they're moving ahead as though they have it. They're negotiating. Oh, you mean there goal. was a sunset clause on it, so they, it there no was. longer obtains. It is no longer obtained. It has expired. I so the Obama administration think. does not have fast-track authority. They have requested it. And yes. just uh, two weeks ago, there uh, was a report that fast-track legislation is likely to be introduced when Congress comes back in January. And 
So the fight to stop, if you, if you want to stop TPP, what you have to do is beat fast track. And the reason for that is because if Congress has the ability to amend a TPP deal, then that means they'll have the ability to slow it down, stop it, change it. It won't be what was signed with the other countries. Other countries will be less willing to agree to some of the things that the U.S. wants to do. It just becomes yes. – it's not that they can't do TPP. It just becomes much more difficult for them to do TPP. Right. So what we well, have to do – it goes from the fast track to the slow track. Exactly. To the slower right. track, yeah. To, to the slow uh-huh. track and hopefully to the station and then hopefully to the junkyard. So, That's you know, right. Exactly. What we – but basically, really it buys us time, is what it does. It buys time. It does buy time, and it allows our, our allies on Capitol Hill to um, gum up the works a lot. And so we have to defeat yeah. Fast Track this year. That really is the goal in 2014, is to defeat the Fast Track legislation. And so, you know, we at Food and Water Watch, you mentioned Lori Wallach earlier over at Global, Tra- Global Trade Watch, Public Citizen, you know, the Teamsters, yeah. the communication workers, Sierra Club, a lot of organizations, a lot of folks on the ground also at the grassroots across the country have begun to mobilize on this. We've been working on it, um, been working with our friends on, on Capitol Hill to, to defeat Fast Track. But it's going to, you know, once the new year starts, once Congress comes back, it really looks like that fight is going to heat up. And so what your, your listeners really need to do is reach out to their congressmen. And this fight's really going to be more in the House than in the Senate. It's going to be harder to defeat in the Senate than in the House. And we have a really good chance to beat it in the House. So they need to reach out to their member of the House of Representatives and tell them, vote no on fast track. If you want to stop TPP, if you want to stop all of the horrific things we've been talking about today, you have to stop fast track that's the best way to beat this and we're going to have that opportunity it looks like sometime this winter or early spring to do it so people need to reach out and you can do that by going to our website we have an action page on there where you can go and you can click and it will let you send an email to your uh, member of congress telling them to vote no on fast track that's excellent so is there a a party affiliation or face Mitch to the uh, support or not of Fast Track? Is it a Republican-Democrat type of uh, issue or not? It isn't um, necessarily. Uh, There's, you know, more more of the Republican caucus is likely to support Fast Track than uh, of the Democratic caucus, but there will be a Mm -hmm. sizable portion of uh, Republicans, primarily those that are considered to be Tea Party members, to be perfectly honest, um, who will oppose it for a variety of different reasons. Um, You know, there is still a lingering, um, you know, they call it protectionist as though it's a sneer word, but let's, you know, um, be honest, uh, it's a good thing. Um, uh, There's a holdover of that in the Republican Party a little bit as well. So some of those members, um, fair trade folks, uh, who have seen their communities devastated by the previous trade deals that we've signed. Um, mm-hmm. So there will be a handful, a few dozen. And then on the Democratic side, you know, um, I, I, you'll, you'll see the opposite. You'll see, I think, the majority of the caucus will oppose, and then there will be a few who either are free traders, because that's just what they are, or people who feel loyalty to President Obama, and President Obama wants this, um, who will support yeah. uh, The loyalists. 
Right. Right. You know, it seems to me, just on the face of it, no pun intended here, uh, that uh, it is an issue of abdication of accountability. Uh, and that would not typically be a Republican stance. Typically, it shouldn't be a stance anyone in elected office would have, but certainly uh, it seems like it's very much anti-Republican, just giving away one's authority as a congressperson or senator, for that matter. Do you know? Right. Right, I agree with you. You would think that it would be something that they that they would oppose, um, just in, yeah. as, as a matter of principle. But you know, as a matter the, of principle, right. we 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 can't forget that you know the the U.S. Chamber of Commerce still has a, a lot of sway within the Republican Caucus, and the Chamber of Commerce yeah. desperately wants fast track. Very true. Very true. Uh, before we let you go, I really would like uh, you you used a very fine phrase that I really appreciate, Mitch, and I don't hear it very often, our friends on Capitol Hill. <laughs> and, uh, could you expand upon that? I mean, honestly, there's always this this intense feeling and sense of adversity when it comes to doing what in our larger A Better World community, and Food and Water Watch, of course, is connected to that, this sentiment of what's called progressive when I like to just call it common sense, you know, the <laughs> common sense party. You know, who wants to eat polluted, contaminated food? Who wants to drink contaminated water? You know, who wants to, you know, breathe contaminated air? This isn't right. uh, a political issue. It shouldn't be. It should be just a common sense basic for all. So when you say, and it always seems that the most politicians are opposed to common sense. So when you say our friends on Capitol Hill, besides Dennis Kucinich, who's been a great favorite of mine for a long time and a better world, and such people, of course, as Ralph Nader, uh, Rocky Anderson, and a handful of others, Jill Stein et al., who have run for uh, positions, uh, presidential et cetera, positions, there aren't a whole lot of friendly faces that I see. So please educate us about this. Um, it gives well, us know, a feeling of a leg up. Specifically on this issue, there's been uh, incredible leadership coming from Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut, who I mentioned uh, earlier. Yeah. She's really been pushing this fight from uh, the food safety angle. Uh, George Miller of California has been working uh, tireless, tirelessly on this as well. Um, you know, I think that the, the a lot of the members of the Progressive Caucus have really uh, clued into this fight and, and, and are keyed up. Alan Grayson uh, down in, in Florida has kind of uh, yeah. spoken out against it as well. But I do want to say, you know, you mentioned again it, it shouldn't be a political issue, and so I want to praise a couple of Republicans, uh, in particular Walter Jones from North Carolina, who has really been doing a lot to organize his fellow Republicans uh, in opposition to fast track. Uh, we did a briefing up on Capitol Hill several months ago on the sea, seafood angle, and he partnered with Rosa DeLauro to, to host that briefing, and they both came and spoke uh, passionately about the need to, to feed fast track to a standing room only crowd of, of Hill uh, staff who were sent by their offices to learn more about this. And so I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be perfectly honest, um, I think that we might very well, 
as surprising as it's going to sound to you, have a friend in Rand Paul. He has spoken out mm-hmm. against this. And, no, that's you know, not surprising he, to me. No. If if he yeah. really if he really comes out hard against this, he's going to bring some more folks with him over on the House side. Now, of course, he's in the Senate, and as I said, it's a harder fight there. But if he comes yeah. out for this, you know, he could really really help us win over some more of that Republican caucus. And so he's done. Uh, he said some good things about this. Of course, you know, Elizabeth Warren has been good on this. Sure. Um, you know, there are. We do have champions up there. You know, we what we need yeah. to do is we need to reach out to them and let them know that we've got their back, that we want them yes. to vote no on fast track, we want them to take leadership, and that we're going to stand with them when they do, because this is, in my mind, the most important political fight we have coming up in the next year. It's in in many respects, it's even more important uh, potentially than the election. We have to defeat mm-hmm. fast track. Yes. Yes. And, I mean, I would could I addend that by saying, based on everything that you have shared with us, uh, defeat Fast Track Step 1 and TPP Step 2. Yes. You know, that's yes. what I'm really gathering from all that you're saying when it comes to the the values that Food and Water Watch upholds and stands for and is constantly fighting for on behalf of the American people and beyond – and uh, it, it's sort of a one-two punch. Fast track is sort of a, an issue of principle, of if you are a, an elected official, use your position to study any kind of legislation to make sure it's in, your, in the public interest. It's for the, good, for the good of all, the good of your constituents. It's, so, uh, it's almost a no-brainer. So am I, am I speaking to the subject? I believe so. <laughs> I think, okay. yeah, I mean, you know, they need to they need to take a look. You know, I think a, a lot of folks, like I said, there are some people up there who they're free traders. That's what they are. That's what they believe in. And, you know, we can give them the evidence that this, you know, the modern free trade era, basically since the early 70s when, the, you know, we've, we talked earlier about the kind of blowback against the post-war uh, improvement, you know, people, yes. you hear a lot about it these days. Wages haven't gone up. Wages haven't really gone up at all. Since we started this experiment in free trade, it's not working for working families. It's not working for your typical Americans sitting right. around their, their kitchen right. table at night trying to figure out how they're going to send their kids to college or pay the bills or take care of, of their elderly parents. It doesn't work for us. It only works for corporate bosses, and we need to hold Congress to account on that and make them yes. realize that that's the case. Yes, very well put, Ike. Agree. In other words, you could say free trade is anything but free. That's right. It costs a lot, and you. you know, it certainly really, does. We can't know, afford really free trade. Money. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I just I, I feel just um, compelled to ask the question uh, because Obama, many things can be said about him, uh, but he's not a stupid man. He's a very bright man in so many ways. He's in his second term he's not going to be running again why would he be such a strong proponent of this legislation i don't it's not for votes what what no i mean my my sense and my fear is that he's doing it because he's a free trader my my sense and fear is that he actually believes that this is going to be helpful um and you know it's a difficult 
it's a difficult thing, but I do think that at the end of the day, that for him, uh, you know, he believes in in free trade, and that's the reason why he's going to be pushing this legislation. I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Well, wonderful. I so appreciate your sharing with us all of our last words for our audience. Well, thank you for having me on, Mitchell. I re, uh, really appreciate it, and I want to wish uh, you and your listeners a happy new year, and, uh, you know, thank let's you uh, go out much, and uh, beat Fast Track and beat TPP. That sounds great. So appreciate it, Mitch. And happy holiday to you and everyone. And uh, so appreciate your being on the show with us today. Thank you. So we'll talk again and have you on to follow up with us another time. Looking forward to it. Me too. Bye-bye now. That was Mitch Jones of Food and Water Watch, the program director of uh, the Common Resources there. It's a real pleasure to have him on to talk about this because uh, it's so important a subject, as I feel you have gathered from listening to this uh, whole show. And, uh, you know, in life, we here in America love to just do our thing and to pleasure ourselves and be pleasured and titillated with all of the wonderful little gadgets and toys that we are, our society is filled with, a literal and veritable plethora of games and toys and entertainments. And who is actually watching what is going on? Who is watching what is going on down uh, in Washington, D.C.? What is going on on Wall Street, what in the world is going on that has a direct impact on the lives of you and me? Well, there are groups, God bless them, such groups as Public Citizen, groups as Food and Water Watch, groups as a number of really fine, committed uh, environmental groups, uh, humanitarian groups, and they go on and on. You know, uh, Paul Hawkins' book, Blessed Unrest, really outlines the incredible international presence of people on the ground, grassroots, who are doing awesome things to empower each other themselves to uh develop their own sense of sustainability, sustenance, and sovereignty on so many levels, self-governance as well. And it's a beautiful movement that has literally millions upon millions of people who are part of it, all the way from Amnesty International and um, the microcredit uh, movement, Ramin Bank, of Dr. Yunus, Mohammed Yunus, all the way to a number of NGOs that are part of and connected to the UN, who are doing awesome work on the ground all throughout Southeast Asia, Africa, Latin America, and other places that have so little, yet their power is in the people. And so often we see governments getting in the way 
of progress, and yet we do need government to help to protect us from the wayward ways of business. And we did have a wonderful gentleman on not that long ago named Mark Frazier, who has spent his professional life opening up what he called uh, free business zones, which are essentially free trade zones. And I posed these questions to him about who's watching out for the people. Well, it's very interesting. When you work on a grassroots level and you're helping to provide jobs to people who really want to work and really want to earn some money and really want to improve life on the family and community village levels, you find very few people who are actually willing and interested in hurting each other or doing the wrong things for a buck. So when things don't get too centralized and too large, when left on a more local level, you see behaviors that are, you could say, more humane and more eco-friendly. It's a very interesting lesson for me. At the same time, I remain steadfastly uh, outspoken about the importance of proper protections that good legislation like the Clean Air and Water Acts and so many others uh, have provided us in a country that is quite large and in which, unfortunately, too much of the entrepreneurial spirit is about buck over values. And this is something that we at A Better World are very interested in helping to turn around, as are many, many other organizations. And I just, uh, you know, offer my great thank you to all of the hundreds and thousands of organizations around the world that are seeking to bring forward clean water, good food, non-hormone treated, non-antibiotic treated, just pure, organic, as it should have always been. There should never have been a distinction between food and organic food. It should have always, always been all organic without interference. And thankfully, gentlemen like our guest today, Mitch Jones, and that entire organization, Food and Water Watch, and others like it are really pushing the boundaries on educating all of us about this good work. So I really do encourage you to go to that website and be active the way Mitch was suggesting. We must defeat this fast-track legislation, which is totally um, uh, an issue of principle. Uh, why in the world would we elect a senator or a representative if we didn't want them reading every single last word of any legislation they would be signing? And already, even without fast-track, we have enough of that problem where our representatives do not read the full bill and all sorts of uh, um, other extraneous items get sneaked in, pork belly, etc., into bills that 
are about one thing but become about another. So the good news is that there really are friends in Washington. There really are people in Congress who are ready and willing to stand up for what's good for people. It's always been the case. There have always been a handful, a percentage of people you can really work with. And I want to circle back around to a guest that we had on recently, the author of Reclaiming Our Democracy, Sam Daly Harris, who educated us all about grassroots tactics of turning our country around. And he so boldly says that who it is that is the elected official that is, the election, is not nearly as important as our voice to that elected official. And if many times um, a congressperson or a senator is simply not familiar with, educated about those topics, those issues that we see as issues, so it becomes incumbent upon us to educate them you think, oh, they must know they're in Congress. No, that's not true. And Sam really helped to drive that point home here in our interview. And if you'd like to hear it, just go to abetterworld.tv under Radio Archive and uh, scroll a little bit. It was just uh, recently that we had him on or put his name into the uh, search engine under Radio Archive and you'll find it there too. So, It comes down to this. It's our country. It's our world. Who is going to make a difference? It's going to be us. Who's going to stand up for what is the right thing? Who has the humane values? It's us. Who is not bought off? It's us. Who can't be bought off? It's us. So when you factor all there is into the picture, it comes down to something that I believe it was originally FDR said and followed then by Obama, curiously enough, who said, make me do it, make me do it, essentially, force my hand, folks. I cannot muster enough political enthusiasm for certain things myself, but you, the people, can. So on that note, I want to just wish you all a very happy holiday. It's a pleasure and blessing to have you part of A Better World. Take this show, grab the link, and send it to your friends. Let them get educated about the Trans-Pacific Partnership that is so under wraps. It's so secretive. It's really only because, I understand, of WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, that we have any information about it at all. And you always have to remember that everything is sugar-coated when it comes to the doublespeak from Washington in the press, on the air, in the media. Always sugar-coated. And you will never get the real truth. It's a very difficult situation. But here at A Better World, you will hear what's true. You will hear what will help you 
regarding your health, your well-being, your wellness, good nutrition, good thinking, how to create sustainability, how to create a green uh, economy. These values, these humane, humanitarian, common sense values are what we put forth. And then we go further into looking at the psychological and the spiritual dimensions of our lives. We look at the neuroscience often now underpinning uh, much of what we would call humanitarian uh, evolution, human evolution, and spiritual development. So interesting. But a lot of this can be mapped to the developments in neuroscience showing us how our brain helps a different use of different parts of it, helps to progress and further our own human maturity, our own true adulthood. And indeed, it's clear that that is what it takes to create a better world. It's not just voting for a piece of legislation. The voting of a piece of legislation is an expression of a more matured human being. And that, my friends, at a better world is really our focus. So, on that note, again, thanks for joining us. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin. And come and tune in to our weekly television show as well. It's lots of fun. If you live in Manhattan, you'll find it on one of the community cable stations, depending on whether you have Fios or RCN or Time Warner. And uh, we're on every Tuesday night at 10.30. And get our newsletter, indeed our newsletter, at abetterworld.tv. Become part of the family. We also have some really interesting offerings there, something called the Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program, commonly known as the HEB program. And this is a really advanced energy balancing uh, system which utilizes the hologram of a human being, i.e. your photograph. And we scan that photograph into our software program, which has thousands of frequencies that are healing and balancing in nature. They come from uh, essential oils, from flower essences, from homeopathic remedies, all sorts of just delicious alternative style, old world, natural, indigenous healing mechanisms and modalities. And those can be and have been programmed in, in a binary code. I know it's awesome, but that's one of the breakthroughs of the Jetsons. It's one of our attributes of the modern day. And a lot of people have received a lot of healing and a sense of well-being from it. We've been doing it here at A Better World for, oh my gosh, almost for 14 years. Yep exactly 14 years we've been doing energetic balancing I work with people also in my own practice using it a, a manual biofeedback system called the life system uh, but on our website you will see 
the Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program, which you could sign up for for a year and save a lot of money, distinct from individual sessions, although both are good at different times in our lives. And last but not least, we have a uh, request that we are making of our audience to donate, invest, I should really say, $3 a month, only $3 a month to A Better World to help keep us on the air. We are bringing on sponsors, but in the meantime and along with that, we are asking our audience if they would please consider a donation like that to us. It's easy. It's on the site. If you think about it, that's less, I said less than one Starbucks coffee per month. But that's for us. Think of it. You're taking me out for a Starbucks hot chocolate or coffee. Once a month, we sit down and we schmooze. But you get to hear us schmooze four times a week and more on A Better World Radio. So you're getting four times the value at only one cup of coffee. There's one way of thinking about it. Anyway, truly uh, investing, literally, in this kind of programming will only help create a better world. It will only help that for your family, for yourself individually, uh, and for the nation and the planet at large, because that's our commitment sharing with you information, knowledge that can help advance you personally and all of us collectively. So on that note, again, thank you. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin. I love feedback from you. And if you would, email me that feedback at abetterworldinfo at yahoo.com. Abetterworldinfo at yahoo.com. Dot com, And if you would just put in the subject line, uh, comments, that would be wonderful. Thanks again. Uh, happy Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And I look forward to seeing you all next.